All right, guys, it's time. Let's go. We're jumping into a new series. So if you'd like to follow along with the message, you can just scan that QR code right there. It'll take you to, to the notes for today, and we can, we can jump right in. Hey, we're calling this series Asking for a Friend. It's kind of a phrase, right, that you've probably heard before. You know, hey, I'm just asking for a friend. It's, it's usually a, a sarcastic way of saying a question when you really don't want anybody to, to know that you're the one that's asking the question. Because it might be something that's kind of embarrassing or something that you don't want people to know about. Like, for example, if you were to go to the store and you go down the aisle and you ask somebody, hey, uh, which aisle is, are the pregnancy tests on? Just asking for a friend, right? I mean, not for me. It's for, you know, that person that's in the car. Like, it's not for me. It's for, for someone else, right? Or, like, if you're in your small group, if you sit, went and sat in your small group and you asked them, uh, does anyone know where in the Bible that it gives you the, the recipe to turn water into wine? Does anybody know where that is? I'm asking for a friend. Not for me. Like, ah, not for me. It's for someone else, right? That's silly, right? Or, like, if you were at, your, at home and you came out of the, the restroom and you just asked, are tortillas flushable? <laughs> not for me. I'm asking for a friend, right? I mean, it's not, not for me. Like, okay, so that's what we're doing. Today, we're jumping into a new series called Asking for a Friend, because sometimes there are some things within the Christian faith that, that maybe we just, we just uh, maybe kind of embarrassed to ask, or maybe it's a difficult question, and we're just not sure uh, that we want people to know that we're the ones that are asking questions. And so, hey, guys. I'm glad that this last series is over with. Man, it, it was a tough series. Man, uh, the ostrich syndrome, they were heavy-hitting sermons. And they, they were difficult. And so I was hoping, I was like, man, I need a break. I need a break. So we're going to do this series. It's going to be light and easy. And so we went on Facebook, and we, we asked uh, for you guys to submit questions. You can still do that for the next several weeks. We asked you to submit questions that we can answer some of those questions. I'm like, this is going to be easy, man. I'm going to get some, some softballs, and I'm just going to hit them out of the park, right? It's going to be awesome. And it's not what has happened. Like, this has turned into a difficult series already because we're going to ask this one question to begin with that a lot of people have asked, and it's this. Do all religions worship the same God? I'm just asking for a friend, you know, you know not for me, because I, mean, I know, right? I know, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Do all religions worship the same God? That's a tough question. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate that, you know? I was looking for some easy ones but evidently, we're not going to have some easy ones during this, this series. But do all religions worship the same God? Because there are different views of God. Like, like Buddhists, they, they worship no God. You know, Muslims, they worship Allah. Hindus, they worship millions of God, gods. Atheists believe that there is no God. Agnostics would say, you know, God is unknowable. So it's a good question. It's a good question. Do all religions worship the same God? And for us to understand what the Bible says about that is we have to, we have to go into probably the most confusing um, belief in all of Christianity. And that is the doctrine of the Trinity. We've got to understand the Trinity. This concept that's very confusing. So you want the answer? Here we go. You ask the question, let me give you an answer. I got this in one sentence. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's tough. It's a confusing thing. And honestly, my, my real answer to you is, 
man, I just don't know. Like, that's, that's a difficult question. How do we know God? How do we know what religion is true? And what does Christianity teach about God? In fact, the Bible says in several different places that, that really we're, we're pretty ignorant. In our ignorance, my ignorance, your ignorance, it's actually pretty common. We're going to be ignorant when it comes to things of God. For example, in Job chapter 11, here's what it says. Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? These are hypothetical questions. Obviously, the answer is no. I mean, I can't do that. And describes what it would take. Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It is deeper than the underworld. What, is, what do you know? It is broader than the earth and wider than the sea. In Job 36, it goes on. And here's what they say. Look. God, he's greater than, than we can understand. And his years cannot be counted. We can't understand God. We just can't do it. And so when you get to the thought of the Trinity, I mean, it's something that as a Christian, you probably, under, you probably heard about a lot, but what really is that? How do you explain that to someone? Well, so what I did is I went to my, uh, my systematic theology book that's on my shelf in my office, uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, okay, systematic theology seminary book, and I, I went and looked at the back, found Trinity, went to the definition, and here is his definition of the Trinity word for word. Maybe this will help us. Here's what it says. The Trinity means that God is triunity. He's a plurality within unity. God has a plurality of persons and a unity of essence. God is three persons in one nature. There is only one what or essence in God, but there are three who's or persons in that one what. God is three eyes in his one it. There are three subjects in one object. That makes sense? Like I read that and I was like, I just walked around the office like, guys, you gotta hear this, okay? This makes total, no, no sense at all. Like I don't understand anything. But sometimes when we talk about the Trinity, that's what is kind of jar- like going on in our mind. We can't explain it. In fact, you want to go to someone and say, hey, can you explain this to me like I'm five years old? In fact, I want you to watch this video that I think kind of represents where we're at. Here are our final actual costs for mm. this year. Okay. As you can see, we did pretty well. So. Yes. Yes, I can see that we did indeed. Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? All right, well, this is the overall budget for this fiscal year along the x-axis. Yes. Right there. There's the x-axis. You can see clearly on this page that we have a surplus of $4,300. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we have to spend that by the end of the day or it will be deducted from next year's budget. Why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? Your mommy and daddy gave you $10 to open up a lemonade stand. So you go out and you buy cups and you buy lemons and you buy sugar. And now you find out that it only costs you $9. Oh. So you have an extra dollar. Yeah. So you can give that dollar back to mommy and daddy. But guess what? Next summer. I'll be six. And you ask them for money, they're gonna give you $9. Because that's what they think it costs to run the stand. So what you want to do is spend that dollar on something now so that your parents think that it costs $10 to run the lemonade stand. So the dollar's a surplus, this is a surplus. We have to spend that $4,300 by the end of the day or it'll be deducted from next year's budget. We should spend this money on a new copier, which we desperately need. Okay, break it down in terms of, I'm, okay, I, I think I'm getting you. 
okay, yeah. I mean, when you think about the Trinity, it's like, okay, I, I don't understand. Can you explain it to me like I'm five years old? So what is the Trinity? Well, the Bible says some very interesting things and pretty fascinating things about God. And we're going to just simplify it for us today. And the first thing that the Bible says is that God is one. He is one. In God's essence, he is one. He is the only God. In fact, probably the most famous passage in the, in the Old Testament, the ones that the Jewish people, they run to all the time, is Deuteronomy 6.4. Here's what it says. is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. It says the Lord is one. So the Bible, right off the bat, says the Lord is, is one. He is, he is the only God. In fact, Christianity grew up out of, it was birthed out of, out of uh, Jewish um, religious beliefs in that culture. And even Paul says the, pretty much the same thing in the New Testament. Look what he says right here in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, there is no God but one. He goes and describes this and, and kind of helps us to understand that the God is, there's only one God. There's it's only him. But to believe in multiple gods is, is not monotheism, but it's a polytheism. In fact, that's what Mormons believe. I don't know if you have Mormon friends or know people that are Mormons, but if you get into their religious beliefs, they believe that anyone, any one of us can become a god, a lowercase g god, and we'll have our own planet, and you'll have kids in the, the afterlife, and those kids will populate that planet, and you can become like god yourself. And that's, that's a polytheistic view of God. But the Bible's really clear that there is only one God, and he's the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth. But I wonder if this idea that God is one is not really so much like a, maybe probably is, a mathematical formula or equation, but it's more talking about, about unity. It's probably talking about both. You see, the Bible says that God is one. There's only one God. But the Bible also says that God is uniquely three persons. This is where it gets confusing. God is one makes total sense. It's easy to fathom that. But when the Bible describes God as uniquely three persons, it doesn't seem like that fits. It gets confusing. It's like if you were to... Go to a carnival and you go, anybody went to like those, the mirrors, like the hall of mirrors? You ever like stepped into those? Usually the carnival is like an 18-wheeler and you kind of get inside and you're like, this is kind of creepy, okay? And you get up in there, right? And, and you, you walk in and you, you go through the, the, the first corner, there's one mirror and you kind of turn. You can understand and see that and then and all of a sudden you kind of go and you, oh, you see another way. And then before long, you're in the middle of this and you don't know where you're going. There's mirrors everywhere and you're running and bumping into mirrors and it's just confusing and you're trying to figure out how in the world do I navigate in the middle of this? And that's what happens a lot of times when we think about the Trinity, God uniquely being three persons. It is God's uniqueness in three persons is in several ways. One is that they're uniquely different. Each part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are uniquely different. Like if you, if you ever have a family fun day, as a family, you go, on a fun, go, go do something fun, I don't know what you call it, right? So, hey, we're going to go to the zoo today, and then we're going to go, I don't know, to, to eat um, out, out, out back in Tulsa. And we're going to have fun, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to go to the movies, and it's just going to have a fun day, right? And if you were to describe that fun day, 
How would you describe it? You would talk about, here's what we did, right? You wouldn't say, this is what I did. You wouldn't describe all of us being together as just me. We, we would talk about, we went and did this, and my, my daughter threw up at the restaurant, right? And the, the movie, we spilled popcorn all over the floor, and you would describe all the things that we did. Here's what's cool. The Bible describes God that way. Even though the Bible says God is one, the Bible describes God as uniquely different persons. For example, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, to show that this isn't just something that was kind of morphed into to belief. Here's what it says in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And he's not talking to angels here. He's talking to someone else that is co-equal with him. And how does, this, how does this work if God is one? And Genesis talks about let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Isaiah 6.8 goes on. And there's another one. It says this. Then I heard the Lord asking. It's kind of that famous verse. Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? And he says, who will go for us? Who will go for us? And, you know, Isaiah says, here I am, send me, right? We kind of, we know that. So there's a couple times in the Bible where, in the New Testament, or the Old Testament, where the, the writers, God inspiring the, the Bible, describes himself as, as a plurality, which is kind of confusing. Look at Psalm 110. This is probably the, the craziest one. In Psalm 110, I don't even read this. The psalm writer says this, the Lord... He said to my Lord, and he says, you know, sit in, sit in this place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So he's talking about, uh, the, the writer says, hey, I heard the Lord said to, to my Lord. You're like, is, is God talking to himself? Like, that's confusing. Why would God talk to himself? Only crazy people, anybody? Only crazy people talk to themselves. And is God talking to himself? Where if you, but here's the deal. In English, this, this is the only word we have. The English language is pretty simple. It, it, it's all we have for this word, Lord, and this word, Lord. But if you go to the Hebrew, you go back to the, to the original languages, here's what it says. Yahweh said to Adonai. Yahweh said to my Adonai. Here's what it's saying. God the Father said to the Messiah, said to Jesus, all the way in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, Jesus shows up. Jesus is there. And the Father says this to the Son. And we know that this is talking about the Messiah because um, Jesus, he quotes this when he's arrested. <laughs> and they ask him, these religious leaders, like, who do you think you are? And he says, let me tell you scripture. <laughs> and, and he quotes this scripture. And what he was saying is, I am Adonai. I'm God. And so they tore their clothes in protest and they yelled blasphemy because God is one, right? And they said, crucify him. Let's kill him. And so there's, in the this Trinity, you think about uniquely three persons. Well, they're uniquely in their, in their differences, but they're also different because they act at the same time. I think that's kind of interesting to think about. They act at the, at the exact same time. Look at what happens in Mark chapter 1. 
So Jesus is getting baptized, okay? So Jesus is getting baptized. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And John baptized in the Jordan River. And this is cool. Just picture this. At the same time, okay? As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart. And who shows up? The Holy Spirit shows up, descending on him like a dove. But he's not done yet. Look what happens next. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And so in the middle of this one story, in the middle of this one moment history, you have all three aspects of the Trinity together. You have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the Father. All at the same time, which means that they're different. They're different. John chapter 14, Jesus says this, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, or that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Again, we see that all three aspects of the Trinity are here at one time. Because there, and I think it's important to say, because there's, there's this false belief that, that it's called uh, uh, modalism, okay? Modalism is this belief that, yeah, God is three persons, but they, they're, they're at different times in history. Like, they can't, they can't exist at the, at the exact same time. Like, anybody watch Superman? Okay, Clark Kent, when he becomes Superman, what does he do? Steps into the phone booth or whatever, right? And then when he steps out, he's got tights on, which is kind of weird, and, and a cape, okay? And so all of a sudden, he is, he is Superman. And so he can't be Clark Kent and Superman at the exact same time. He's got to change. And that's what a lot of people believe about the Trinity. This is this belief that, that okay, there is a Trinity, but this Trinity is, is where, the, like the Old Testament is, is God the Father. I don't know if you guys believe this. Like this was, was one of my beliefs as I was growing up. God the Father's Old Testament. Then you get in the Gospels, and then God becomes Jesus, okay? And then when Jesus ascends into heaven, then the Holy Spirit steps in, and now God is the Holy Spirit. And that's modalism. That's a false belief about God, the triune God. The Bible is really clear that there has never been a time that Jesus has not existed, or the Holy Spirit has not existed, or the Father has not existed, and there will never be a time in history where all three of them do not exist at the exact same time. John chapter 1, verse 1, famous passage, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word is talking about Jesus here, okay, so it's describing Jesus. The Word was with God, talking about the Father, and the Word was God, okay, so that's kind of crazy, confusing, but at the very beginning of John, we see, we see here that there's never been a time that Jesus didn't exist, Modalism doesn't work, but many religions believe that Jesus was created. Many other religions believe that, that Jesus was just a good man or he was God but, or a God, but he was created at some point in time. But the Bible is really clear that Jesus, he was never created. In fact, the Bible says he is the creator, which is this bigger view of Jesus than just what we get sometimes in our, in our small thinking view of of the, the Gospels. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says that Christ, he is the visible image of the invisible God, and he existed before anything was created. That is a profound statement right there, and is supreme over all creation. And then goes on to describe how Jesus created everything. And so this is, this is the Trinity. God is one, but he's also three uniquely different persons. So he's Unique in, their, in his differences, the, the, the three persons of the Trinity, they're unique in their differences, but they're also unique in their equality. They're equal. And that's something important to remember. Equality, the definition of equality is the state of being equal, especially in status, rights, 
and opportunities. So each person in the Trinity, what it's saying is each person in the Trinity is not more important than the other, okay? And each person in the Trinity is not more powerful than the other or has more authority than the other. In fact, the Bible describes them as all having equal authority. So one of the most famous passages of the Bible, the Great Commission, look what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in whose name? Not just the Father's name. I think that's kind of the belief that some of us get that, you know, it's, he's, he's the one in charge, okay? And then there's Jesus, like, and then, then there's the Holy Spirit down here. The Bible says, in all their names, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are equal. John 10, 30, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. He says we're equal. And then we get to see kind of their differences in their, their uniqueness in their roles. John 16, 13 says this about the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Which part of the Trinity gives us truth and guides us? The Holy Spirit. So we see from Scripture, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all, they're all equal in their godness. But they have different roles. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like, like a marriage. You know in the Bible where it says the two shall become one. That doesn't mean you become one person. That'd be weird, right? You're not one person, but there's unity. There's unity together. And you have distinct roles in your marriage. You're different, but you're co-equal. Maybe that's an okay example of the Trinity in, in some form and fashion, but, but this is the Trinity. It's Christianity's most unique and awesome mystery. It's different. But you know that the word Trinity is never found in the Bible? <laughs> like, you can't find it. You look in the back, the word doesn't exist. Some of you have probably already looked it up while I, was, while I was talking. It doesn't exist in the Bible. But the doctrine of the Trinity is found throughout the Bible. And we try to describe it as best we can. And the only way in English language that we have a way to describe the uniqueness and difference within the, the, the Trinity is to, to call them persons. Which kind of doesn't equate very well with us because we think of each of us as a person, okay? And we can go against each other and we can be in uh, disharmony and uh, we think about relationships we have. But we, we describe the Trinity as, as three unique and different persons because we're trying to describe that each one of them has personhood and personality, okay? Each part of the Trinity has personhood and personality, meaning that they have emotions, they have intellect, and they have the ability to act. So they're different. But then again, they are one. And we can't understand it. It's impossible to understand. I think that's a good thing to, to sit on for a moment, that it's difficult to explain God. It just is. That's what makes this difficult and tough, because you're like, how do I explain God where someone can understand? I'd actually do a good enough job where um, I'm not making him small. I'm making him and explain him how he is. It's difficult to explain God. And so what we do is we try to use things in this world to try to help us to understand. Um, like an analogy, okay? So we use things like, like an egg. So yeah, you know what? God is like an egg because an egg has an outer shell, and it has the egg white in the middle, and then, or an outside, and then it's got the yolk right in the very center. But you know what? It's all one egg. 
But the problem is if you cooked anything, you can, you can separate it, right? You realize you can separate an egg. You can take the shell off. You can take the egg whites off or out. You can, you can separate the, the yolk. And so that's not a really great example because you can't separate the Trinity. You can't separate them. So we think about other things like we try um, states of, of matter. Like let's, let's go science here, okay? Y'all ready? Science here. So you got states of matter like H2O. You got solid, liquid, and gas, but they're all H2O, right? And so you think, well, that, maybe that's a good way to describe the Trinity. But the problem is, is this is modalism, okay? Modalism, remember that you can be one of these three, but you can't be all three at the same, the same time, okay? So a solid, like ice, can never be a gas at the exact same time. It's got to transform and change. So that's not a very good example of that. So let me go to the last one. How about a triangle? We're still in school here, right? We're doing some math now. Maybe this is the best one. And I don't, maybe, because you got like, this is an equilateral triangle, by the way, okay? So you got equal angles. You got equal lengths. So they all make up a triangle. And so may, maybe that's the best way to describe the, the Trinity. I'm not really sure, but it's difficult to explain God. He is a mystery. And I think the reason he is a mystery is because we only get a glimpse of him. Like we read the Bible and you go, man, the Bible, it's thick. There's no way I'm ever going to read all of that. Like this is just too much for me. And, but you read it all or you study everything. You're like, I think I have a good understanding of God. But we got to realize that is just a small glimpse of who God is. A tiny glimpse. It's like, have you ever looked at the Milky Way? Seven years ago, I, uh, I went to we were in South Texas and up in the mountains, there's no ambient light around. And so it's a great view. They have telescopes and stuff, and you can see um, just it's incredible views. And we were camping out one time, and, and I was sitting outside the, the tent, and I just looked up. We were looking up, and um, it was so many stars. It was unbelievable. The Milky Way it was just this vastness. There were so many stars, you couldn't even, like, pick out one single star. It was just like this, this cloud. It was just crazy going across the sky. And we're using binoculars, which you ever looked at stars, binoculars, kind of cool. So we're looking at binoculars, and, and uh, through binoculars, we're just going. And, and, and then all of a sudden, like, something catches our eye just going across the sky like this, this little thing of light going across we're like, what is that? And so we're using our binoculars and trying to see what it is. It was the space station, which is cool. You're like, man, that's a space station. We're like looking at it, and we're trying to, trying to watch it in the binoculars and trying to figure out, you know, how high, we're thinking about how high up it is, how fast it's going. And then as soon as we kind of figured out where it was in the sky, it was gone. It just disappeared. You couldn't see it anymore. And that's kind of how God is sometimes. You read God's word, we see, we see God, and we're like, oh, I understand a little bit, but then you have all these questions, and we just, it's just difficult to figure out who God is. But we can experience him. You ever think about that? We may not be able to explain God, but we can experience him. Like, you experience the Father when you look up at the sky, when you put your toes in the ocean. When you get to experience the joy of a child being born, we get, to, we get to experience the Father in the middle of those moments. We get to experience the Son when, when we are saved from our sins. 
when we ask for forgiveness and we, we understand um, salvation and what Jesus did on the cross for us, we get to experience the Son. And we get to experience the Son when we, when we pray in his name. We get to experience the Holy Spirit when we are convicted, when we're encouraged, when we're challenged, when we're rescued from making terrible mistakes and decisions. There's been so many times in my life where I just go, oh, thank you, God. Like, I didn't do that. Or I, wasn't, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I didn't find myself in that position. Like, you, if you weren't here, I would have done that on my own. It would have been, it would have been really bad. It would have gone really bad for me. But I see that you have saved me and rescued you, me, and you've been near me all this time. This is God. This is the Trinity. So what does, I was thinking about, what does this mean for us? I mean, that's just a bunch of information, okay, whatever, right? You can go to lunch and talk about it, but what does this mean for, for us? I think a couple things. I think it needs, we need to realize that the basics of Christianity is that we worship a triune God, the Trinity. It's important to remember that. We don't just worship God the Father, the Old Testament God, or wherever you want to say. We don't just worship the Son, Jesus. And we don't just worship the Holy Spirit. We worship all of them, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, co-equal together. That is who we worship. That is the best way to describe the God who created everything. Also, this is kind of interesting. When you think about the Trinity, I think about relationships. Do you realize how relational God is? That for all of eternity past and all of eternity future, he's always been in a relationship with himself. Like in his essence, God is a relational God. He's not all by himself, even though he is one. He has three unique persons that make up his oneness. He's in a relationship with himself. And what that means for us is that he wants to have a relationship with you. He created you to be like him in his image. And he is a relational God. So he wants you to have relationships with people. We're not supposed to be by ourselves. But even more important than that, we're supposed to have a relationship with him. And my question for you is, do you have a relationship with him? Do you just know stuff about him? Or do you actually know him? Have you trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins? Have you put your hope and your faith in him, not in yourself to save you, but in him and him alone? That's what it means to have a relationship with Christ, with Jesus, with the Trinity. So if you haven't had that, man, today is the day. Let's, let's do this. Put your faith in Christ. I would love to talk with you after, after this. I'd love to share with you what that looks like. We have staff over here. We'll be in the connection room. We'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Man, don't leave this place today just knowing about the Trinity. You need to experience them. You need to experience the Trinity. And for all of us who are believers in this room, what, is this, what does this mean for us? Well, I want to leave us with this final verse that is... It is found in 2 Corinthians. This is actually the last thing that Paul wrote to this church that he loves. Here's what he said. This is crazy. This was his prayer. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
<laughs> this is prayer. This is my prayer for us. That every single one of us would experience the grace of Jesus. We would experience the, the love of the Father. And we'd experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that we experience God. I pray that's what you get to experience today. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are indescribable. We can't do it, and we try, and it's just confusing. But even though we can't explain you, we can experience you, and that's what we love about you, that you're not distant, you are here. And we have your word to understand you, to get a glimpse of you. And so, God, I pray for every single one of us in this room that if we have had a false view of who, who you are, that we would repent of that. And they would begin to see the biblical version of God, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God, that we would worship you as three equal persons. And we may not understand it, but we can trust you. And we thank you that you are so relational and you love us. And you want us to have a relationship with you. So I pray for people in this room who don't, that they would. They would go to you and they would be real. They would talk to someone about that. And they would, they would give their life to Christ. They would ask him to forgive their sins. And I pray the Holy Spirit would come into their life change them and guide them and speak truth into them. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.